namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami Well, people often ask uh, questions uh, about thinking, uh, the thinking mind, and um, uh, frequently the um, the experience is that the the mind won't stop thinking, and is a ongoing cause of uh, distress and anxiety. It's a very common experience, and so I thought maybe to uh, offer some reflections this evening about uh, uh, the realm of thinking, and uh, not only how is how it can be a great cause of uh, difficulty, suffering, but also the uh, the role of thinking in being a uh, very powerful and helpful, liberating tool as well. It's uh, both a, a a curse and a blessing. Something that is uh, can be a source of great suffering and a source of of great uh, great happiness, uh, liberation uh, uh, as well. well. For most of us, when the the mind is untrained, and particularly uh, growing up in a, a Western environment uh, with a a lot of uh, education, uh, our minds are filled with with words. Uh, our attention is uh, say drawn to the past, to memory, uh, is drawn to the, the future, imagining uh, what's, uh, uh, what's ahead of us, uh, creating ideas uh, about other possibilities, other realities, uh, different uh, uh, say worlds that we conjure into being with our thinking. And uh, uh, for many of us, most of us, we can spend a, an incredible amount of time just dwelling in the past, recreating the past, the things that have been delightful, that we would like to remember, the things that could have been good, that we imagine how they might have been, things that were painful, that we go back and we revisit because they were so awful and so uh, so difficult. Um, the uh, The endless reiteration, the kind of retelling of stories, uh, uh, how it could have been, how it might have been, what happened, what I should have done, what I shouldn't have done, what they did, what they should have done, what they shouldn't have done. Or uh, imagining the future, what might happen, uh, how's it going to be for me, is it all going to fall apart, is, uh, is things going to go really well, am I going to really uh, have a lot of uh, happiness and success, are things going to be really good, are they going to be really difficult, uh, what's up ahead of me, uh, it's okay now, but uh, maybe there's all sorts of awful challenges and problems ahead in the future, what's it going to be like this, or what's it going to be like that, when my health doesn't... Uh, stay together if I get some disease or that uh, my my mind falls apart or my living situation collapses or there's struggles here and there. Well, the mind can create a, a huge uh, field of, uh, of uh, imagination. 
the uh, the thinking mind can endlessly create uh, causes of uh, of difficulty and distress. Just uh, um, just today, you know, someone came to visit who was uh, talking about their uh, problems with anxiety. That the mind just takes uh, you know, any 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 feeling, any thought, and just you know runs with it and and creates you know, knots of of tension, agitation, uh, uh, stress within the system. So it's good to look at that that process. You know, often uh, before we try to train the mind, before we try to practice meditation, and we we just assume that uh, that's what the mind does. That it's uh, there are things important things to worry about. <laughs> There's all kinds of, of dreadful stuff that might happen in the future, and it's our responsibility to worry about it. Uh, so that uh, it's important, helpful, to uh, explore how that uh, imaginative process works. And, uh, and also with uh, using the meditation to see how the mind doesn't have to be subjected to that, um, uh, that habit just seeing that that um, process of uh, there being a memory or an idea or a sound or a smell or a taste or a feeling, a sight, that then triggers a whole stream of associations, a stream of, of uh, say, uh, thinking that arises from that, that we might be very uh, used to that, that might be something that happens a lot, uh, but... Uh, one of the great blessings of Buddhist meditation and the Buddha's teachings is that it points to the fact that this is a habit. This is just a, a, a deeply entrenched trait, a habit of mind. And the mind can be trained away from that. We don't have to be subjected to that. The mind can break that habit. So for many of us who are familiar with this process, those of us who have been around for a few years and practicing Buddhist meditation for for some years, this is familiar territory, and so uh, this process of um, the mind uh, getting lost in its own creations is called papancha in the Pali language, or conceptual proliferation. So that we can uh, <coughs> we can use the meditation to see how that that happens. We we hear the sound of a bird, or we we uh, smell the uh, the um, Aroma of some food cooking in the kitchen, or we, we, uh, or the smell of the the mown grass in the summertime. We we uh, hear the the sound of a particular voice. We see somebody moving, and the or the way that they walk reminds us of uh, of uh, somebody that uh, we were at school with, or somebody in our family. And and the mind you know, takes off and tells a starts telling a story. Oh, yeah, I remember that that same kind of that bird reminds me. Of, yeah, I used to be uh, in that. Uh, wasn't where was that place that we went to in Suffolk? It was that my grandmother used to take us to when we were children. Oh yeah, there was that holidays she used to take us, and we'd go boating on this lake. And oh yeah, it was just her and my sister, and <laughs> and it all came from the sound of a of a particular bird. And then there you are, back you know, forty years ago, reliving a a, a summer holiday and a. a getting stuck in the reeds in your canoe and the distress of can't go forwards, can't go back, stuck in the reeds forever feeling. 
So as we get to to um, to know this kind of habit, we see the mind doing this. In particular, in meditation, we see how the mind can take a, a, a sensation in the body and, and write a whole story about it, or can take a, an idea, you know, plan out a whole uh, array of possibilities for the future. Uh, when we notice that happening, when we see that uh, there you are off uh, 15 years in the future with your the person that you just married and you've got you know, three and a half children and you're living in a, a house in the Cotswolds, and you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's just somebody I saw sitting on a mat across the other side of the temple. <laughs> and uh, that uh, I've only seen them for the first time today. We're not married. We haven't got any children. We don't live in the Cotswolds. I haven't got any money. <laughs> It doesn't actually exist. There's a, a story in the scriptures um, that if we think this is a modern problem, then we're, we're deeply mistaken. There's a, a, a very lovely story in the, in the scriptures in one of the Dhammapada commentary stories where it's a, um, there's a, a, a young novice. Um, back in those days, they didn't have elect- electricity and they didn't have electric fans. And so when... Um, a uh, an elder was giving a dhamma talk. Say that you know, a, a senior person is giving a talk. Then you know the weather is hot, and so the uh, the uh, there will be a, a junior person standing nearby with a fan. You know, this, these ceremonial fans. These were not just ceremonial. Actually, that's the cooling system. <laughs> so there'd be a, a novice standing nearby, kind of fanning the the elder to keep them cool while they're giving a dhamma talk. So in the Dhammapada commentary, there's a story of this uh, young novice, and and uh, he's fanning his uncle. His uncle is a senior monk, and his uncle is giving a dhamma talk, and the novice is standing there fanning him. And I guess the dhamma talk was a little bit boring, because the uh, the novice starts to to drift off in, in his imagination as he's standing there fanning. And there's a particular way you can know, fan one stroke down, then one stroke across, then one stroke down, then one stroke across, then one stroke down, one stroke across. So he's in the rhythm of fanning his uncle as his uncle is giving this this dhamma talk, and as the uh, the, the novice is, is is standing there, then his mind starts to to drift off, and and as he's uh, he's he's drifting, and he said, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm 17 years old, and I, I respect my uncle a lot, but I'm I'm only really kind of here in the monastery just kind of because my family thought it'd be a good thing for me to do, and and they didn't really you know have much of a of a job for me so they sort of sent me off here and you know i've been here like what a year and a half already and uh, you know maybe at the end of the rains retreat it'll be time to leave and and yeah i wonder if that girl in the village i mean she's probably not married yet and we really did get on very well together and actually you know if i did leave right after the rains and get back and sort of let it be known that you know i'm kind of interested in her then yeah maybe next year we could get married and that would be really great yeah i mean she's a nice girl and and uh, well, she comes from a different village, but you know that's okay. I mean, we we did meet, and that uh, you know that uh, her family, I, I think they're pretty good. And then, uh, but uh, you know, well, maybe if I get back, and then uh, I'll kind of let my parents know, and then we can kind of arrange the marriage pretty quickly. And then, well, that'd be really nice. And so then, uh, you know, she would move to my house in the in the village, and then that'd be really great. Then we could. Um, 
you know, I'll have that little plot of land. My parents have got those extra couple of rice fields on the uh, on the edge of the village, and you know, we get those get the rice fields planted, and then and then you know, we have a few uh, like people do a few chickens and a few goats, and then and then you know, pretty soon we probably start a family. That'd be really great. Oh, but yeah, if we have a family, she'd probably want to go back to her home village and have the baby at home with her parents. So that's kind of difficult. Well, you know, traveling. I mean, she's about she's a few miles away, but uh, you know, what would that be like? Kind of walking along the road with. Uh, if she's pregnant and then well we'd have to take some of the goats along as well because you know she'd want some goat's milk while she's walking because you know she's t- pregnant and she's tired and and so that yeah it's a bit of a long journey so uh, the, um you know for those goats i mean goats are really badly behaved they just go wherever they want and you know they they're not obedient like sheep you know the, but but she does like you know you can't really get the good milk off the sheep but the goat's milk really is the thing and that and that you know so that yeah but those goats I, i've had them before they're really a pain in the neck they kind of wander all over the place and and and, actually that road between my village and her village there's all that kind of shrubbery and yeah the goats they'd be right off the path before you know it and you have to get out the stick and whack them and and get them back on the road again and 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 he's uh, in the this happening you know that uh, there's a a, a very uh, interesting and helpful method oftentimes um, if you're sitting in meditation and you find that you've, there you are you're you know walking off to your your next village giving birth to your next you know your first child or you're you're revisiting some uh, uh, yes uh, your classroom 15 years ago and and uh, having an argument with your uh, with your old school friend that uh, that you used to fight with, and, and you, you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not back in the classroom. I'm in Amravati. I'm <laughs> I'm sitting in my kuti. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the I'm in the temple. You know, I'm not I'm not uh, pregnant and on my way to my home village. You know, I'm not off living in the Cotswolds. You know, I'm not uh, running my business in the city, making piles of money. Yeah, this is uh, <clears throat> this is a different situation. So an interesting practice, a helpful practice to do is then when you see that you, in your imagination, that you've wandered off 15 years into the past or 10 years into the future, and, and then if you trace it back, you trace the, the whole chain, that uh, when you realize that you've imagined yourself into some office or some marriage or some different monastery with a different teacher, or you're sitting up on the Dhamma seat and you're delivering the Dhamma talk... <laughs> When I'm the Ajahn, when I'm running my own monastery, then, you know, I will. If people will always be like this, and the nuns and the monks will never be like that. They'll always do this. Well, I'm never going to allow that in my monastery. <laughs> but uh, if you, when, when you realize that you've created this whole imaginary world, and then it's to trace it back and see, okay, there you are in your, in your monastery, uh, uh, off, in the, off in the future, and then to say, okay, well, how do we get there? And then you, you <coughs> say, okay, well, I was uh, thinking of the monastery in that particular place, and I was, I thought of those hills in that particular part of my uh, my home country, and uh, and so then 
And what made me think of those hills, it was, oh, it was that um, particular patch of woodland that I walked through on my afternoon walk yesterday, and I saw that the trees reminded me of that place. And so I'm remembering that walk. And then that started off with me having this sense of, of mm, I didn't get out for a walk. Uh, I didn't get out for a walk today. I feel a little bit twitchy and restless. That's where it began. It began with me sitting here thinking, hmm, didn't go for a walk today. I could, I could use a walk. And then that whole train of thought, oh yeah, because yesterday on that walk I saw those trees, those trees reminded me of that, the forests at home, the forests at home reminded me of those hills, and then that, the hills made me think of, oh, one day, one day in the future I'd like to have a monastery right there, <laughs> up on the hill overlooking the sea, that's where my, my perfect monastery would be, there. So you trace it back to where the, the, the whole chain began from, and say, oh, it all began just with that feeling in my legs, that was the origin. And then as you trace it back to its source, whatever it might be, whether it's a feeling in your leg or the sound of a plane or the, uh, just a, a, a random memory, the closer you get back to the origin, then usually the experience is that the simpler it gets, the less there's a sense of me and, uh, and uh, my story, my preferences, my likes, my dislikes, you know, and uh, <coughs> it becomes uh, simpler and simpler and then you realize, oh, it just began with feeling, began with hearing, began with thinking. That was all. It was just a, a random uh, sensation, a random sound, a, a, a smell, a taste. That was all. So that, uh, the further you go back to the root, the simpler and, uh, and uh, less personal it becomes. And so that if you make this into a practice, so whenever the mind gets lost in its trains of thought, it's sort of rewriting the, your story, rewriting the, the, the past, writing the future, uh, they're rewriting your relationships and the, your plans and your personality. That uh, if you do this each time when the, and you realize that, oh, it's just hearing, feeling, smelling, tasting, touching, remembering, that's all. And, and uh, you're kind of unpicking those those creations, unpicking those proliferations, then uh, it, it helps the mind to recognize that, the, that process. Also how the more that the mind gets lost in those proliferations and, and uh, strings of association, the more tangled, the more complicated, the more stressed the heart becomes. And as you follow it back to its source, how much more simple and spacious and non-personal uh, things are. And so that uh, uh, then when, you, when uh, you develop this as a, a kind of uh, uh, a response to the mind's complication, then you, it's a way of, of deflating those stories because those, those stories have power over the mind when we believe in them, when we take them to be real and true. But the more that the mind recognizes, oh, it was just... I imagination hatched from this simple hearing, feeling, smelling, tasting, touching, that's all. There was no thing there. It was like, you know, it was all just a dream. It was all just imagination. There isn't really anything there. There's a sense of relief in the heart. And so just to, to bring things back to the source, to, to follow that back, and then to consciously appreciate that quality of simplicity, of uh, selflessness, of naturalness, of ease, just let that speak for itself. Like, oh, life in its essence is very simple, 
the complication gets created by our uh, tangled thinking and also making everything very personal. My story, my future, my past, my preferences, my failures, my successes, you know, all that I, I, I am, my inflated views of myself, my critical views of myself, how I want to be seen, how I'm afraid that I will be seen, how I, I, I was seen in the past, how I want to be seen in the future. You know, it's all tense and tangled and complicated. And the more that the, 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 those tangles are sort of followed back to their origins, then they realize, oh, it's, it's at, their, at their root, these experiences are, are very simple. They're just hearing, feeling, smelling, tasting, touching, remembering, that's all. It's, it's not complicated, it's not uh, tangled, it's not stressful. Another of the, the difficulties that comes from, from thinking, uh, where, where uh, the thinking mind is a cause of, of trouble, is where we take the thought or the concept to be the reality. And so uh, in, some, in some instances this isn't a, a problem. So if I, if I say the word chair, yeah, you, you, no one's going to mistake the word chair for an actual thing that you can sit on. You can't sit on the word chair. You know, so that the, the concept of chair and the actuality of a, of a chair are, are very distinct. One is a physical object and, and the other is just a word, it's just a, a, a concept, so that you, the, those two don't get mistaken for each other. But when we talk about abstract things, then they do get mistaken for each other. So for example, I was talking with one of the monks today and was... Uh, was discussing how in, he was giving a Dhamma talk and, and talking about uh, Anicca. And um, you know, in the conversation he'd had with some lay people, they said, oh, you know, there's no need to talk about impermanence because you know, it's obvious everything is impermanent, so there's no need to talk about it. <laughs> there's no need to mention impermanence because everything is obviously impermanent and changing. And uh, so that, I thought that was a, a, a really good example of stupidity. <laughs> In my humble opinion, my not very humble opinion, <laughs> because you know, if we really understood that everything is uh, impermanent, that everything is uh, anichang, then if that's really understood, then that then that that mind would have uh, entered the stream. That that, that uh, a str to a stream enterer, it's obvious that everything is impermanent. But <laughs> if the what the mind has not entered the stream, then. Uh, the, uh, the the concept that everything is changing might be might make sense, but the mind isn't really seeing in a direct and complete way that all things are impermanent. So when, when the Buddha, when the, in, in many of the teachings, when the Buddha characterizes the insight that, that is um, the, the the breakthrough, the the uh, the entering the stream, the um, that uh, first level of liberation then the way that's characterized is saying that the mind uh, awakens and understands yankinchi samudaya dhammang sabantang niroda damanti. Whatever is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. That's the insight. So uh, you know, everything that begins ends. So conceptually, that's not very complicated. Most four or five-year-olds could understand that. If it begins, it ends. What goes up must come down. Uh, if something is born, it's going to die. 
you know, even as a small child, you can you can understand the concept, but to for the the tr the full implications of that to really uh, enter the heart and to be uh, creating a framework for which all for all experience that's something else. So this is where um, thinking is a problem because we mistake the idea you know all things are impermanent. Oh yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, that makes scientifically that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, everything is impermanent. Yeah, okay, but the the so the concept of it is being mistaken for the the, the reality of the insight. So that if the if the mind you know, if the heart really knew in the most complete and comprehensive way that all things are impermanent, that would change the whole uh, way that life is is received and known. That would change the way that you relate to your body. To your personality, it would change the way that the mind relates to the relationships, to uh, its the the, the uh, supposed possessions, things that, things that you own, things that you that you think that you have, things that you think that you are. It changes the the context for all of that completely. It you know, changes the way that the mind relates to uh, the the body, the personality, the. You know, your self-image, the way that you see other people, the way that the mind sees the world, it changes it completely. <clears throat> so that, that's where um, thinking is, is a, a problem. And in, in this instance, more intelligence is more of a problem. <laughs> because a really intelligent mind can, can make a, a case for anything. So in, in, this, in this instance, stupidity is more helpful. <laughs> But if you, you say, well, if the mind can say, well, if it just says, well, I just don't, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're right, but I just don't like the idea. You know, I haven't got an argument against it, but I just don't like it. Then that's kind of uh, 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 easier to see than when the mind is very quick and very intelligent, very smart, and it can make up an excuse for, well, uh, you know, I think this is good and this is good because of this, 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 and this. The, the clever mind easily makes a watertight case for why its opinions are correct. If you follow that. Whereas the mind that's not quite so quick or not quite so intelligent um, is, hasn't got those resources. And it says, well, I just, I just don't like the idea. I just don't want it to be true. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I just tell myself it's not true. Uh, and so that it's, uh, in, in a sense... Uh, that's where a lot of intelligence or a lot of knowledge can really be a hindrance. So I'm, I'm not genuinely encouraging stupidity, <laughs> but just pointing out that oftentimes people who have a lot of intelligence, uh, a lot of cleverness, a lot of knowledge, it becomes an obstruction because every fear they have, every aversion, every desire, every attachment, it's like having a, a, a team of really good lawyers you know, your lawyers can make a case for any desire, any fear, any aversion, any opinion. It's all right there. You've got your know, names, dates, places, evidence. Everything can back you up for why you're right and somebody else is, is wrong. So then it's much easier to believe your opinions, to believe your mind's judgments, to, to believe in the concepts and to not be really able to open the heart to, to the reality of this Well. Um, you're only saying that because that's what you really want to be true. You're only, you know, that's your opinion so that you've got a, a whole 
a collection of ways that you, you defend it, but uh, it is just an opinion. Uh, it's not necessarily the, the whole story. It's not necessarily real. So that in the, again, in using the meditation, uh, it's a, one of the most helpful aspects is to, to recognize that no matter how uh, clever our concepts are, no matter how much uh, we can give a reason for why we like this or we don't like that, or we think this is good or we think that is bad, or, or um, uh, the, the kind of um, reasoning that the mind creates for its likes and dislikes, its, its opinions and preferences, the, the meditation is, is very helpful for us to be able to keep our thinking in context, so that we know, well, even though my opinions, have, I've got a lot of backup for why my opinions are accurate <laughs> or, or good, it is just an opinion. It is just a concept. And again, one of the, again, one of the most helpful reflections on this in the, um, in the teachings is a phrase that the Buddha uses uh, quite often, which is, yena yena hi manyanti tatotanghoti anyatati, which means, Whatever you conceive it to be, the fact is always other than that. So no matter how good your conception is, or sort of accurate, or, or comprehensive, uh, the conception can only be uh, an image, it can only be a, a, a half-truth, a, a convenient fiction. It can't represent the reality. It can only indicate it, like the word chair, it's not a chair, it's a word, it's just a sound. Uh, it's not the actuality. So that and that the concept anicca is not uh, the quality of impermanence itself. It's just a word that points to the quality of of change and changingness. So that uh, that kind of reflection and and the uh, the the use of uh, the meditation to uh, say uh, reflect upon the um, limited and subjective nature of thinking. That's extraordinarily helpful. The uh, <clears throat> one of the the biggest problems with thinking is that if we think something, we take it to be true. So I've been talking so far in terms of opinions or judgments, but sometimes those judgments can be about ourselves and how bad and wrong and awful we are, or it can be um, the uh, patterns of thinking that are, are quite you know, oppressive or that you know, create anxiety and stress within ourselves. And so that uh, over and over again, some of the advice that I give very, very often, usually several times a week, if not several times a day, <laughs> is that uh, uh, one of the biggest issues for us uh, is that if we think something, we take that thought to be a truth. Even if what we think this week is different from what we think we thought last week, it, it was true last week, and it's, even though it's different now, it's true now as well. <laughs> we don't we don't notice that we're, we're that our uh, that our thinking has changed, but we assume if a thought passes through our mind, the thought says, "You know, this is good or that's bad," that we take uh, we take it to be a, 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 an accurate statement of reality. So. Uh, over, over and over again, I find myself saying to people, "This is a really bizarre kind of assumption to make. That if I think it, it therefore is true." And one of the most helpful ways of reflecting on thought is to just take a, um, in a way, sort of a, an easy English version of that Buddha's statement of the Buddhas: 
which is to say, just because I think it, it doesn't mean it's true. It's just a thought. You know, that the eye perceives sight, the ear perceives sound, the, the body perceives sensations, the mind perceives thought. That thought doesn't have to be telling the truth. It doesn't have to be accurate. You know, if the mind says, that's beautiful, that's just, that, that can be re- reflected on and considered as, well, that's just a subjective impression. It's just the mind has a, uh, a, a perception and it says beautiful or it says ugly or it says good or it says bad but it's just a subjective impression so if we have the the mindfulness the presence of mind to 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 uh, change the way that our own thoughts are perceived are held that can again re- relieve a great deal of suffering uh, just because we think it it doesn't mean it's true so when the mind says that's really awful if there's the presence of mind to recognize, well, that's a judgment. <laughs> well, that's really great. That's beautiful. And the mind that recognizes, well, that's a judgment. That's the mind judging something as beautiful or as good. That's the mind judging something as awful or as bad. <coughs> that creates uh, a lot more space in the mind. That uh, it's, uh, it's a very strong conditioning that we have to believe our thoughts, to, to take it to be uh, a... Um, a valid perception. But, uh, in a sense, I would say that you know, all perceptions are necessarily subjective. They're going to be conditioned by this particular set of uh, eyes and ears and nose, tongue, body, mind, this particular pattern of conditioning that is here in this, this, uh, this center of, of experience. So that this uh, this requires a, a certain amount of of mindfulness, of kind of paying attention and a readiness. But again, if we if we say set the intention, if we kind of set a different framework, and just to remind ourselves, just because I think it, it doesn't mean it's true. You know, whatever you conceive it to be, the fact is always other than that. <laughs> That's a, just to to keep recollecting that to whenever the mind makes a judgment. Oh, that's really great. Well, that's that's just one perspective. Uh, that's really awful. You know, that's just one perspective. Is that you know? Is that the whole story? Then, when we apply that reflection, when we apply that way of uh, reframing our own thinking, just to notice what happens in the heart, just to notice that sense of of relaxing, of easing, of spaciousness. At least in, in within me, within my mind, my heart, then, when, uh, when that, the mind reflects, oh, that's just a judgment. That's just saying, oh, that person's really awful. That, that person's really good. It's, oh, that's a judgment. <sighs> Instantaneously, immediately, there's this feeling of relaxation, uh, of ease, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, a sense of, oh, yeah, well, that's just the way that this mind judges some perception. That's all. That, that's, that's all there is to it. So this is a way of keeping uh, the, the, in a sense, the the concepts and the reality you know, distinct from each other. And the 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 Buddha also pointed out that you know, any kind of conceiving, any kind of of uh, say forming of a picture is, is necessarily distorted. It's necessarily limited. You know, it, it can't. So the conceiving manyati. Uh, is a is a disease. It's like a a, a kind of it's it's, an, it's something that's alien. It's a, like 
as soon as the mind says this thing is real or you know there's a real me who's the experiencer of this thing that in in making that the subject object dynamic solid as a, a separate me here experiencing that thing there and that is good or that's bad or that's that's mine that's that's not mine that very forming of subject and object there's a, there's dukkha right there there's there's stressing in the heart there is there is tension there so he says like it's a disease it's like it's alien it's a it's a uh, like a, a cancerous tumor that kind of manyati can that conceiving that forming because it's not really formed it's not really there the mind is making uh, it's believing in something that isn't really there it's believing in a a a, a separate individual entity that's not really there it's it's believing in a a particular quality that, that's not uh, intrinsically and fully there and that that believing that that grasping that identifying naturally creates a, a tension within us so then the the, the these uh uh these aspects of thinking then point to how we can use thought in a very beneficial way. So we, we uh, so when the ability of the mind to uh, to explore and to uh, examine, to name what's going on, to name what's being experienced, we will call this uh, wise reflection, yoniso manasikara. So this is where thought becomes a real blessing, becomes really liberating, because we can use the capacity to think and to to um, recognize patterns, to um, to discern uh, as a powerful tool. Just to, the mind that can reflect. Oh, this is just a, a judgment. My mind is saying, "Wow, that's beautiful," or "Ugh, that's that's awful." That's really uh, embarrassing. That's really wonderful. That uh, the mind that can reflect, oh, this is a judgment that, that is being made in this moment. That's all. That's a, a, an aspect of wise reflection. Yoniso Manasikara, or, uh, called Dhammavijaya, the investigation of reality. So thinking and the ability to use uh, thought at that point is something that's uh, extraordinarily beneficial. And we can uh, we can actively use this quality of investigation, wise reflection, to uh, cultivate and to, to, in a sense, sharpen those tools to to make those uh, the the faculty uh, of wisdom. We can uh, use this ability to reflect and explore to uh, to in a sense uh, strengthen the mind's capacity to know its own nature, to know the nature of experience. So when we talk about the development of, of insight, uh, vipassana, then we talk not just about anicca or impermanence, but also unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, and anatta, not self. So we can, uh, we can use the, this quality of thinking, explore, exploring wise reflection, to develop that perspective of wisdom. So that when... Uh, we are experiencing something that we really like. I mean, we, we eat something, as a, then the mind says, oh, wow, this is really delicious. Then we can, we can explore that, that feeling of, of deliciousness. As well, this particular feeling of, wow, this is, this is delicious. It says, well, this is dependent on the fact that you haven't eaten for 24 hours. <laughs> 
you're really hungry, and the first thing that you picked out of your bowl was uh, something that looked like it was going to have the, the flavor of, uh, of uh, you know, one of your, you know, your favorite tastes. And so the conditions are such that you know, you're hungry, and that particular thing is something that uh, usually uh, makes you feel very, uh, very happy, gives a lot of pleasure. And so you put those two things together, hunger, and then that, that particular flavor source, and boom, you get happy. If you then ate another uh, 150 mouthfuls of the same stuff, by, by mouthful 100, you, you would probably be really bored. <laughs> that flavor, oh no, not another one of these. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've already had 100 uh, mouthfuls. This is, this is unbearable. Like, by mouthful 150, it's like, I can't stand it. This is awful. This is too much. So... You can use your imagination and your ability to reflect. Okay, well, this is this. Uh, the mind is calling this totally pleasant because of the conditions, but it's not satisfactory in and of itself. It's it's dukkha because also that that feeling of wow in itself it can only last for a few seconds, and then after that initial wow, this is great moment, then after three or four seconds the mind is already searching for the next interesting thing. It wants to repeat it because that, that impact has already uh, done its thing and, it, and it's now fading. So uh, <clears throat> we can use the, the ability to reflect to uh, explore the, 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 the nature of experience. Like if you're, again, if you're eating something, okay, this is a feeling of, of, of pleasure at, uh, at eating when you're hungry, but, and I say, oh, I mean, I'm really enjoying this. Well, you can reflect, you know, well, who's this I who's doing the enjoying? You know, who is the, who is the me? What is this me that is the enjoyer? Is there something here that actually owns this experience of tasting, of enjoying? What's, what's the I who's the enjoyer? The, the me that this belongs to. What, what is that? The mind focuses on the taste or the, the experience of, oh yes, but what's the, the agent that is doing the experiencing? What's the, 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 uh, the I or the me who is the, the, the owner of this? So that, that uh, those kind of questions, that kind of exploring, this is a wise reflection, yoni so manasikara. This is a, you're using thought to, in a sense, give shape to the, uh, the uh, ability of the mind to explore its own experiences, to explore its own judgments and, and perceptions. So this is where thought becomes extraordinarily liberating and powerful because you know, in that moment of, of, say, asking a question, well, okay, the mind says, wow, this is, this is really delicious. I say, well, you know, who is this, ex this experiencing? Is there, a, is there a me that this belongs to? What's this I that's doing the, the tasting, the, the enjoying? And then in that moment, there's, there's a, a, a genuine quality of, of liberation. There's a, 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 a moment of, oh, right, there, there's, there's tasting and there's a feeling of enjoyment, but there isn't really a, a separate individual I that's the, the doer, the, the experiencer, the, the owner. You can't, when you look for an owner, you can't find what that is. There, 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 there is no discernible, definable uh, quality 
that does the owning. Oh, look at that. So that that uh, capacity to reflect, particularly on anicca, dukkha, anatta, on impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, selflessness, the, the more that that is applied, not just when you're eating, obviously listening to Dhamma talk is the same. <laughs> you know, walking along the path, uh, dealing with an experience of, uh, of discomfort or embarrassment, with excitement and enthusiasm, or uh, experience of dullness or, or sleepiness, or whatever it might be, pleasant, painful, neutral, uh, then... In exactly the same way, the, the, the thinking mind, the reflective mind can be applied and can, uh, can be used to uh, explore. Now, oftentimes people ask, well, what's the difference between wise reflection and just conceptual proliferation? <laughs> you know, if the mind is just sort of creating a, an ongoing chattering commentary about, about everything, you know, how is that di- different from wise reflection? So this is a common question and a, and a useful question. So the, the way I, for myself, how I characterize it, if, if the mind is just lost in, in a, a conceptual proliferation in Vipancha and the kind of internal chatter, then it's like a, a, an ongoing stream of, of a sort of verbal commentary. And it, you never really get the end of a sentence. It's just like, what well, yeah, a few words uh, just uh, conditioning the next few words, conditioning the next few. That you never really finish a sentence. It's it's just a, a kind of fragmented, ongoing stream of uh, of uh, commentary and associations. And there's a feeling of, of agitation and um, busyness within the heart. A wise reflection always has a, 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 an attribute of uh, spaciousness. So that when, when it's genuine yoni so manasikara, wise reflection, the, you, the mind thinks in full sentences. So that it would be like, what is it that's experiencing this, this, this pleasure? Yeah. If this uh, flavor was repeated, if this experience of tasting this flavor was repeated a hundred times over, w- would that be pleasant? Aha. So when it's wise reflection, a sentence uh, has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then a space after it. <laughs> and then there's that quality of, oh, well, if uh, this is only pleasant because it comes to an end, if it carried on per- you know, perpetually, it would no longer be pleasant. Aha. And then not only is, does the mind think in, in complete sentences, but there's a, sp- a spaciousness between those reflections. And in that sort of aha, then there's also the conscious recognition of, oh, right, that changes things. There's a, a, a way in which the, the mind holds things differently as that insight uh, dawns. As that, um, oh, when, when there's a search for the me who's the thinker or the doer, when, when there's a uh, looking for the I who is acting in a certain way, um, that that I can't be found. There's a, there's a, a, an experience of choosing, an experience of of doing, but when the 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 thing that is the doer, the actor, is looked for, no uh, discernible quality can be found.
ah. So that that ah, that is also a conscious part of the wise reflection. There's a a a, a, a revisioning. There's a, a that quality of of a, say clear seeing and seeing the the mind seeing in accordance with with dhamma uh, with uh, the wisdom mind seeing in an unobstructed way when we develop wise reflection in this fashion then it brings the the way of seeing of the heart into accord with dhamma and so that the the reflections on anicca uh, on uncertainty, on change, uh, reflections on dukkha, on satisfactoriness, the reflections on not-self, you know, this is what really brings the, the heart in, into uh, accord with its own nature. It helps the mind to see things in, uh, in line with, with Dhamma, within, with, uh, in line with the, the reality of things. There's a, 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 a natural quality of harmony of attunement of um say uh, of realism there's a sense of oh of course oh it's this way aha and there's a, a naturalness a simplicity uh, uh, and a kind of freedom that uh, then intrinsically comes with that so that as uh, Ajahn Chah would say the this is the um the, the reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta, and particularly the reflection on, on uncertainty, on anicca. So this is the, um, uh, the practice of the noble ones, you know, the, the mind that sees that all things are indeed uncertain, impermanent. You know, that is uh, the mind that is wise, that is awake, that is the, the, the Buddha mind. That is the, the, uh, say the wisdom faculty of the heart, knowing the true nature of things. Or maybe another of the um, a final practice that is um, useful in terms of of thinking is um, a, a kind of practice that Lumpur Sumedho used to often encourage, which you can kind of summarize as thinking the unthinkable. So that you know we're all trying to be good Buddhists with sort of polite ways of relating with each other, with wholesome thoughts and and not dwelling upon aversion or greed, desire, uh, fear, and, uh, and <coughs> delusion and, and um, biased judgments and such like. But every so often we might annoy each other. And so um, like just this evening I was uh, talking with someone and they were talking about how somebody had, uh, they, they'd written to somebody um, you know, asking for some, uh, for some feedback or, or you know, to making a suggestion, wanting to find out about a particular uh, project or program. And this person had, had not even responded and that uh, they, they were feeling that this was really you know, hurtful and how, you know, don't they take me seriously and uh, you know, this is really unfair and who do they think they are and you know, after all, you know, don't, they, don't they know who I am? And, and there was this kind of emotional reaction. And so then, uh, uh, this is quite, I, I, I don't have the ability to read anybody's mind, but this is quite normal for us as human beings. Like, how dare she? You know, that's really unfair. Who does she think she is? Or, you know, doesn't he know who I am? Or, that, you know, don't they care about me? Or, this is really, uh, really awful. Or, you know, what about, what about me? I'm being left out here. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm just taking for granted. You know. Or it doesn't have to be resentful feelings. It can be any kind of feelings. So then the the easy um, reaction is that, oh, you know, that's an unskillful thought. I shouldn't be resentful. I shouldn't be demanding people to treat me nicely. And, and I shouldn't be so hateful. I shouldn't be wanting to kind of put an ax through that monk's head. You know, it's kind of a rude thing to do to... <laughs> To want to put a, a an axe through Ajahnana Dasna's head just because he's the work monk and he is just kind of bossing me around like a, you know, like a kind of uh, commandant. Yeah. How dare he? So that you know, oh, I shouldn't be thinking that way. That's really violent. That's really cruel. That's really selfish. How awful! So we we often we sort of push away those feelings, the kind of negative, destructive, particularly sort of negative, destructive or greedy uh, feelings. Oh, I shouldn't think that way. I'm supposed to be a, I'm supposed to be a monk. I'm supposed to be a practicing Buddhist. You know, nuns shouldn't think that way. You shouldn't want to hurl monks through windows just because they've upset you. <laughs> and so we kind of push those, those feelings away. Oh, I shouldn't think that way. So this kind of practice that uh, Lumpur Sumato would, would encourage is kind of thinking the unthinkable, which is rather than pushing those thoughts or feelings away, you instead invite them in and you, you think them through uh, in a very systematic way. It's like, how dare you? How dare you treat me that way? I want to put an axe through your head because you're such a bad monk and you shouldn't talk to me like that. So there. And you know, that might be the feeling. Or, well, I mean, you know, if you were different, I would be happy. I'm unhappy because of you. you should, if you changed the way that you are, I wouldn't have any problems. Right? These are the kind of feelings. Again, I'm not reading anybody's mind. But these are the kind of feelings we easily have. Now, when you carry out this practice, and I've done this a lot over the years, uh, and I feel it's one of these strokes of genius that uh, Lumpur Sumato um, sort of come up with, many, many strokes of genius he's come up with in his teachings, um, because it's incredibly effective. Uh, you know, if you do this and you say, like, you know, if Ajahn Ananda was different, I would be happy. I'm unhappy because of the way he is. He shouldn't be like that. And if he was the way I think he should be, then I would be happy. I mean, you, you, you try to think that and you can't get to the end of the sentence without cracking up. It's like, well, oh yeah, right. You know, uh, of course, there'll be something else to be upset about. You know, there, that, uh, <clears throat> just because there's a particular thing that somebody said, you know, that you didn't like it, but you know, the, the mind is inflating that or making a huge issue out of it. So when you think the unthinkable, and it's, it's important not to say these things out loud. It's not like <laughs> write somebody a letter or a, an email. Like don't write it down. <laughs> well, if you do write it down, make sure that you tear it up, burn it before you give it to anybody. <laughs> if you write the email, delete before you send. You know, but uh, it really <laughs> make sure you don't send by accident. But if you uh, just spelling it out. Uh, and it doesn't matter how violent or crude or awful or un-Buddhist it is. And yeah, because and, and so Lumpur Sumedha would describe when he was a young monk at Wapapong, you know, he would have these kind of jealous or angry or violent feelings towards other monks, and he would and he would just sort of walk himself through it and say, you know, I want to bash your head against that tree so all the brains are spilling out. That would make me happy. And again, you know, you, you kind of get halfway through the sentence and then you just ca you know, crack up because it's like, well, you... and that would solve things? Oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so it's by 
pushing it away or thinking, oh, that's a bad thought, I'm a Buddhist, I shouldn't be having those, those thoughts, you know, monks shouldn't think that way. That you, you empower it, you give it strength by pushing it away, by thinking that that's bad and that's wrong and I'm a bad, I'm a bad nun to, to think like that. But when you invite it in, it's kind of, you take it, it's, it's in a mysterious way, you take its power away by inviting it in. It's like, you know, somebody that you, you really don't want to come and visit you, or you really didn't want you to, to, to show up, and they appear at your door, and you say, rather than, oh, please go away, go away, you know, you're not wanted here. You say, oh, come in, come in, oh, how nice of you to visit. <laughs> you kind of change the dynamic. And when you invite that in, then uh, in a mysterious way, you, you take its power away from it. It's almost like you, like a conjuring trick. You know, when the when the the conjurer, uh, uh, the magician, keeps you distracted so that your attention wanders off, and you you don't notice what the conjurer's hands are doing, what the magician's, what the trick is. But if if you sort of slow everything down, you put the lights up, and you you're not distracted, you see how the conjurer does the trick. So this way of thinking the unthinkable, it's like inviting it in and and, and saying it clearly and distinctly to yourself. It's like turning all the lights up and slowing the film down so you can see exactly how the conjurer does the trick. And so the trick doesn't work anymore. So in terms of, of our thinking, and particularly emotionally charged thinking or, or judgmental thinking, and it doesn't have to be full of hatred, it can be kind of lustful as well. Like, if only you and I were together forever, then uh, I would be completely happy all the time, every day. You know, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> That's going to work for sure. <laughs> so it, it, whether it's, it's liking or disliking or, or uh, whatever it might be, you know, then if you just, in a sense, you, you listen to what the mind is creating, kind of catch it, freeze it, and then replay it at about 50% speed. <laughs> so just kind of steadily uh, repeat it to yourself. Okay. If I was with uh, this person every day, all day, forever, then I would always be happy. Yeah, right. <laughs> if that person was, if only that person wasn't here at Amravati, everything would be fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's interesting that you don't have to tell yourself that the kind of yeah, right doesn't come as a sort of concept. It just—it's a natural recognition. It's like the force of gravity. You don't have to invent it or make it up. It's, just, it's, it's obvious, it's natural, it's non-conceptual uh, uh, understanding. You, your heart knows there's going to be more to it than that. That wouldn't make you happy forever. No, there will be other things that the mind would get, uh, get uh, upset about or get excited about or, or have an opinion about. And so it's a, it's a different kind of a knowing. It's not trying to convince yourself, but rather it's touching into the heart's own natural intuitive wisdom. So these are a few reflections on the realm of thinking and its blessings and curses. So I offer these for consideration this evening. <laughs>